Hey folks, uh, welcome to another edition of the Mental Health Podcast. Uh, I have uh, Chantel with me and uh, I can't wait uh, for you guys to hear from her. Hey Chantel, how are things with you today? Hi Sanjay, um, I'm doing really well. Thank you so much for having me um, mm-hmm. on your Mental Health Podcast. I'm excited to share my thoughts. All right, sounds good. Uh, so, so the first thing that I... Uh, ask people to do is uh, give themselves an elevator pitch. Just talk about uh, who they are and what they're doing um, so people get an idea of uh, where you're coming from. So Very good. So I am currently a mental health professional. Um, mm-hmm. I serve in a leadership capacity and I've built my career uh, serving nonprofits um, from the social services perspective. So mm-hmm. I spent mm-hmm. about a decade or so working in the legal field, mm-hmm. um, supporting defense attorneys, um, and I'm now working as a behavioral health service provider. Mm-hmm. Um, I My passion is for uh, learning about culture, learning about emotional intelligence, really dissecting real versus ideal culture, and mm-hmm. developing strategic plans to um, foster environments of authenticity. Okay. Okay. Uh, sounds like you're doing a lot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, one thing that sort of comes to mind is like when you're doing so many things, it, it takes a toll on your mental health. Can, can you talk a little bit about uh, how you sort of experience that and you know, what is your sort of understanding around it? So. Yes, I think that that's a really important conversation. And I would say that, you know, having spent a decade working in law firms, I don't think that we spend enough time talking about um, the mental, emotional and physical toll that comes from working with people um, and the problems that affect, you know, the very existence of personhood. Mm-hmm. Um And so for me, I was working in, you know, a social services capacity, um, most recently working in Philadelphia that has, you know, just an obscene amount of um, crime among young adults and adolescents. And that was the population that I was working with. Mm -hmm. Um, And so really managing, managing kind of, all right, it's my job to advocate for this person. And Mm -hmm. this person has caused harm to others. Mm -hmm. And um you know i see that there are greater systemic and socioeconomic and so and and social dynamics that impact this person Mm -hmm. because i have lived through those things Mm -hmm. um and because i've been interfacing with them for so long um Mm -hmm. and so you know to be honest with you i realized i realized after grad school which is a little late to be noticing Mm -hmm. uh, that i actually had anxiety um Mm -hmm. And I realized this because uh, my entire academic career, I was working full time and in school full time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt like I had to do that because I had made some decisions in my life and I had you mm-hmm. know, had to build my family out of order without the resources underneath me. And so mm-hmm. you know, being, 
being a child of immigrants, you know, I had to prove that my life wasn't over because I had, you know, had a child at a young age and I had to prove that I was intelligent. And so I had mm-hmm. to get a graduate degree and I had to climb, you know, the the leadership ladder because I knew I had the skills. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I remember, Sanjay, I remember after grad school ended, I remember feeling like this great sense of like, I don't know, like I had all of this extra energy, but I had nothing to do with it. Right, right. <laughs> and um, incidentally, it you know it wasn't long um, before COVID that I that I finished law school, and so then this like great awakening happens where we start talking about our mental health. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I had had a therapist. I've had a therapist, you know, pretty much my entire adult life, and mm-hmm. you know, I had been talking to her. I also have relatives that um, need medication to balance their their you know behavioral um, outputs, and mm-hmm. so. You know, my therapist, who I had been working with for a long time, said, hey, I think that maybe you should consider the possibility of taking medication to manage your anxiety. Mm-hmm. And she had just spent a good while convincing me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, when I look back on that, I find it really perplexing that she had to spend time convincing me. Mm-hmm. Uh, because <laughs> I was doing suicide assessments with people. I was connecting them to, to med management. I was connecting them to therapeutic services. And mm-hmm. I saw myself in them. But not to that point, you know. Right, right. Um, and so, you know, over the last, I would say, over the last maybe five years, I've really been intentional about thinking about kind of what are the impacts of secondary trauma, mm-hmm. um, and 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 what are the things that I give so much to those mm-hmm. in need, um, mm-hmm. and then you know, how does that manifest kind of in my personal life? Definitely. Uh, so you mentioned a lot of things in there. I think I'm sure, you know, we can spend hours together dissecting everything that you mentioned. But, you know, one thing that sort of caught up onto me, uh, you know, pe- for people who don't understand, what do you mean by secondary trauma? I, I, you know, people get perplexed when they talk about primary trauma. You know, can you just highlight that a little bit more? Oh, absolutely. So um, I'm actually fascinated by the study of trauma. The study of trauma is only about 20 years old. Mm. Um, And, you know, there's some really remarkable studies that talk about, you know, like the ACEs study um, that comes from Kaiser Permanente. And then Philadelphia has their own ACEs study that studies kind of what are the environmental pressures Mm. uh, that create a traumatizing environment for folks. However, there's tons of studies that really help us to understand kind of like the trauma of immigrating from one country to another and the journey of assimilation. And, mm-hmm. you know, coming from like, you know, coming from a child of immigrants and, you know, just generations of people that were not American, they mm-hmm. don't call it trauma. Mm-hmm. They just call it, you know, we survived. We did what we had to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the more and more I studied, you know, I studied theological and cultural anthropology, I began to really understand kind of um, the cultural implications of being immersed in Mm -hmm. an environment where people are at the deepest and darkest moment of their lives. Mm -hmm. So, for example, um, in my prior role, I was working um, at the public defender's office. And, you know, when you get arrested, that's probably one of the most difficult times of your life. Mm -hmm. Um, You have made a terrible mistake. You've been caught. And now you've been robbed of your freedom. And you've been robbed of your name and Mm -hmm. um, given a number. And so, um, you know, the people that serve, um, mm-hmm. folks that are incarcerated have to go in there. And, you know, one of the things that I just could not stop reflecting on, Sanjay, throughout my career is like I went to prisons and psychiatric institutions and this, that, and the third. And I had um, 
I had official privileges at these institutions. And mm -hmm. yet, even though I was coming as an official visitor, the dehumanization of every time I entered that facility and mm -hmm. every time I exited that facility made me feel physically dirty, made mm -hmm. me feel emotionally dirty, and mm -hmm. made me, you know, emotionally, I was, I just couldn't make sense of it, you know? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and, you know, this is the trigger warning, right? But like I interviewed people that were in regular population in prison. I'll mm -hmm. never forget a client. He's, he was missing an arm and he said, I cut my arm off because the voices told me to. Right. Um, and so the impact of, and yet he had done something terrible and hurt someone terribly, right? Mm -hmm. And so going into the courtroom and defending people and being looked at poorly by, you know, the, the complaining witnesses and, you know, knowing that despite the fact that this person had done something terrible, they still deserve somebody to stand there with them right. and not still feeling filthy afterwards because of the stigma and mm -hmm. because of the societal impact. Mm -hmm. And and, you know, I couldn't help but notice, like, most of the people that I was helping were people that had experienced poverty, had experienced uh, racism, and had mm -hmm. experienced mental health diagnosis profoundly. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, that's really what secondary trauma is. It's just the weight of the work that you carry. You know, right. a lot of times at, at social gatherings, people will say, you know, what do you do? Mm -hmm. um, and I've had a lot of relatives and friends say, how could you help those people? Right. And Definitely. even that judgment, you know, right. um, as people, we seek so much validation from, you know, the work that we do. Mm -hmm. And when people don't respect the work that you do, they don't respect the clients that you serve. It makes you wonder, right. you know, mm -hmm. it really just makes you wonder. Definitely. Uh, you know, uh, I wanted to ask you something. My, my, my mind is, you know, going blank right now. But, uh, uh, you know, it's one thing that I try to... Um, understand is showing compassion to people who've done something wrong right i mean like i mm -hmm. I, I was just curious like what is your thought sort of thought process around it and how do you sort of start developing that sense of compassion right um yeah for me i would say it's not too difficult right um mm -hmm. i i believe that we are all inherently flawed Mm -hmm. um, I believe that the world is a broken place and I believe that people make bad decisions. Mm -hmm. um, however, I don't believe that people are a result of their of the bad decisions that they're made or should be identified by the bad decisions that they've made. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm really intentional about kind of learning about a person, you know, what matters to you? Um, how do you view the world? And really, that was what I did. It, you know, that was what I did. I did mitigation work. Um, for people that were facing long sentences in custody and mitigation is basically providing a context to who that person is. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yes, this person is here in front of you, your honor, because they were accused of, you know, attempted murder, right? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And he is someone so much more beyond that. And let me tell you about what happened that day that led to that. And mm -hmm. let me tell you about how this person was born into a family and what resources that family had and didn't have and how a person could arrive to this very day. Right. Um, and I think that honestly, like sometimes I make bad decisions and I want people to look at me with grace and I want people to understand that, you know, the condition of my heart is not what's driving the, is not, you know, what's driving the, the bad decision. It's, mm -hmm. you know, something that just happens. And so, I know that, you know, I've even had relatives, siblings say, like, I can't understand how you would work with someone who steals right. um, because it's such a shameful thing to do. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, you know, it's it's really not a struggle for me because I see it as a as a survival behavior. And I That's think right. in one way or another, we're all in survival mode. We're just surviving different things. Definitely. Um, you know, uh, one thing that I wanted to sort of move to was like, how do you balance that out, right? Like, how do you balance your passion for your mission and, you know, avoid, you know, that sort of consuming your whole sort of life? H- how do you go about, you know, balancing that? So Sanjay, if I'm honest with you, that's something that I'm really struggling with. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, struggling with, you know, the the passion to serve others mm-hmm. um, that are clearly in need um, mm-hmm. as, and, you know, having built a career in nonprofit, doing work that I care about that really matters to me. Um, I think has been really important. However, I've also taken notice of this kind of predatory nature that employers have over people that have a calling to serve. Right. And I think that it's not Mm -hmm. ill-intended. And I have found myself complicit in these predatory practices. Mm -hmm. And I have also found myself burnt out as a result of these predatory practices because of how much I love caring for others. Right. Uh, but I remind myself that at the end of the day, you know, my 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 primary this is what I always say, my primary ministry is to my household. Mm-hmm. What does it matter how many people I defended? What does it matter how many people I listened to if I didn't mm-hmm. listen to my husband, if I didn't listen to my children? Mm-hmm. And so my goal is really to build um, build a career, continue to develop a, a career in service of others. Mm-hmm. Um that supports my lifestyle and doesn't consume my lifestyle. Definitely. And, and I want to be a leader that, you know, pushes back on these predatory practices and says, you know what, I know that as an organization, we need this, mm-hmm. but what about the people that are carrying, you know, this organization on their backs? How can we take care of them? Mm-hmm. And Sunday, what I mean by that is not pizza. Um, what I mean by that is not merch. Mm-hmm. What I mean by that is not, you know, an ice cream social. What I mean mm-hmm. by that is <laughs> truly sitting down with folks and saying, how mm-hmm. can I support you and developing an action plan to actually do it? Right. Definitely. I mean, uh, you know, I personally have had experience with uh, being a crisis counselor. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the things that they mention there is that, you know, as much as you're taking care of another individual, you know, that self-care is as important. But, uh, you know, the, the, the problem is that uh, I see the aspect that you mentioned wherein, like, uh, even though they aren't predatory, sometimes, uh, you know, the individuals who are part of this profession uh, are sort of going at it because they feel like, you know, it's their cause or it's their own sort of, uh, right. you know, driving force of life. So, you know, I mean, did you have, like, I, I know you mentioned, uh, uh, you know, people focusing on their, you know, families, but like for people, you know, who are struggling, who are just by themselves, like, did you have any advice for like how they can sort of create that balance as well? Oh, absolutely. And you know what? I, I have to apologize because I said like my family comes first, but what about people who choose to be single? I think that they should be celebrated and I right. think that they should have rich and and fulfilling lives as well. So right. Right. Um, for me, my first ministry is my family because I've chosen to have a family and I very much feel like that's what I was called to. Mm-hmm. Um, 
However, those people who choose not to have families, like they deserve to have abundant and rich lives. And what that means is it is not selfish to take mm -hmm. care of yourself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Sanjay, you and I have like kind of similar work experiences where we were nurturers within an organization and that organization mm -hmm. encourages us to practice self-care. Mm -hmm. um, and I think what I would challenge uh, um, people that are working in nurturing positions is, is to ask their leaders, what does self-care look like to you? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. how are you willing to support me in having a rich and and vibrant self-care within this career, within my tenure at your organization? Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that question is going to speak loudly to um, leadership because it's something that we preach about and we preach about and we talk about it and we talk about it so much. And yet um, the question is, are we investing in self-care ourselves mm -hmm. as leaders? Are we living into that? And mm -hmm. are we creating space for our, our employees, those who are carrying these organizations to have space for self-care? And I think that, you know, I was listening to the radio the other day and um, I can't remember the name of the artist, but there's this new artist and she required her music label to pay for her therapy. Mm -hmm. And I think that that should be the minimum for anyone working in a service oriented field. Like your employer should pay for your therapy a hundred percent. There should be no out of cost, um, out of pocket cost. And you should be allowed to do it while you're at work because half of the reason why you need to be in therapy is because of the burden of mm -hmm. carrying, you know, mm -hmm. the weight of humanity. Mm -hmm. For sure. Uh, you know, one thing you mentioned that that sort of stuck a card with me. I know you mentioned your family is a huge aspect of, you know, what grounds you. But in terms of self-care, self right, what advice do you have? I know you mentioned therapy as well. Uh, but, you know, uh, for one aspect that I've seen is therapy is so expensive today. You know, people don't have the luxury to sort of go uh, into therapy unless, you know, an employer sort of gives them that luxury as well. So, you know, other than therapy and, you know, depending on, you know, your own family, you know, what are some other things about self-care that you can advocate for as well? So, Sanjay, I think that's a great point. And I think that, you know, what that reminds me is, is of kind of going back to our roots um, and thinking about, you know, um, my family's from the Dominican Republic, and one of the things that I do for self-care a lot is um, not as often as I should, but I travel back home to the village and mm -hmm. stay there for a few days. Mm -hmm. um, and I just observe the pace of life. Mm -hmm. um, and I observe what, you know, my uncles or my great aunts and uncles have done to take care mm -hmm. of themselves for these years. And sometimes it's, you know, right now there's like the sensation of, you know, coconut oil this and avocado this. And, right. You know, right. those are things that that our generation, that, that my ancestors have been using for years to heal, mm -hmm. to build mm -hmm. up, to, to mm -hmm. take care of ourselves. So I think that for me, it's like going back to basics, unplugging. Um, and just kind of being with myself, being with, I really love the way the sun feels on my skin, as cheesy as it sounds. Mm -hmm. um, I really love being outside when there's a nice breeze. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that, you know, like you said, therapy is a luxury, right? Like, mm -hmm. the reason my folks back at home don't go to therapy is because they can't afford to have problems, right? Right. But right. the problems that they have are too expensive mm -hmm. um, to manage. So I think that, you know, unplugging from from society's expectations of who you should be, from mm -hmm. the messages that we get about what's right and what's wrong with us, and, mm -hmm. you know, spending some time alone um, 
and you know just reflecting i think for me is really therapeutic definitely thank you for highlighting that you know uh, some people i know are struggling uh, you know because they are in the bouts of immigration and they're not allowed to visit their home countries but you know i love that point that you know taking time away uh, just unplugging you know just feeling the sun taking you know time off uh, you know those were um, so many great points that you mentioned uh, can you talk a little bit about like you know the experience of feeling like an imposter right i know you have a graduate degree i know you have these many sort of years of experience like can you talk a little bit about what your sort of approach towards you know dealing with uh, imposter syndrome is uh, thank you, Sandra. You're absolutely right. I mean, I, I had an interview um, not that long ago, and the first thing that the panel said to me is, your resume is really remarkable. Mm. Um, and I remember being so surprised that, like, I told someone later that someone said that to me. Um, and to be honest with you, um, I do have an advanced degree. I have tons of years of experience and, mm -hmm. you know, I've been fortunate to have been exposed to different um, organizations from a management and leadership perspective. And yet many mm -hmm. times when I'm in the room, in a boardroom, mm -hmm. um, I feel like tongue tied. I feel like what I'm going to say, is it going to matter? I feel mm -hmm. And, and let me tell you this, I've been in, I, I, I'm so fortunate because I've been in so many boardrooms and been able to observe dynamics. Mm -hmm. um, and I have worked with primarily female teams, primarily immigrant teams, primarily, mm -hmm. you know, very, primarily minority teams. Mm -hmm. And yet there's this dynamic that regardless of what the team's values truly are, regardless mm -hmm. of who is the leadership of the team, and I've seen this play out in different organizations, mm -hmm. everyone defers to the voice of the white man in the room. Mm -hmm. And 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 I, I think what's remarkable for me about this is, you know, I lean into conversations about race. I lean into conversations about, you know, what makes you different than me and what makes us similar and how did we end up here? Mm -hmm. And so some of these men that have, passively supported this by allowing their voice to be the most important one in the room are men that don't take themselves too seriously, mm -hmm. um, that don't believe that they're the smartest person in the room, mm -hmm. um, and yet passively we defer to those voices. And so um, having participated in it, having observed it, um, it's something that you, whether you want to internalize it or not, you do. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing is, you know, English is my second language. And I remember when I was in grad school, many of my professors saying, hey, um, can I ask you this without being rude? Is English your second language? Because your writing sounds a little like you're an ESL student. Right. Um, and for me, I felt very, I felt naked in that moment. Mm -hmm. um, I felt really vulnerable in that moment because he, in that moment, him saying that to me, you know, about a paper that I wrote at school made me question every email that I write, made me question how I communicate with my team, right. uh, makes me question the ideas that I submit um, mm -hmm. and if they make sense. And mm -hmm. I would say like being, you know, a person of color who's an ESL student who doesn't have generations upon generations of family members to teach them the unspoken rules. Right. Um, there's a lot of like, people are like, I can't believe you would do that. I can't believe you would say that. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know the rules of the game. I'm just being me in these boardrooms, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and so some people find it incredibly refreshing that I say what comes to mind. And some people find it incredibly off-putting. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess I'm just trying to make sense of 
why it is, is that I second guess myself when I know that there are people in the room that are intimidated by my confidence and my intelligence. Definitely. Wow. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, this was just, you know, so mind blowing, uh, <laughs> you know, and the other thing is like coming from a lens of, you know, being an immigrant and being BIPOC, right? I, I just wanted to get your take on like how you perceive mental health as a whole, right? I mean, I, I know... <laughs> Uh, people sort of perceive mental health differently and I don't think a one-size-fits-all approach works for everybody. But, you know, just wanted to take, you know, get your take on it as well. So, Thank you, Sanjay. I really appreciate that question. And I think the answer to that is I'm still figuring it out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have, you know, a solid um, foundation of faith. I have a solid foundation of, you know, traditions um and you know like i just take it all in right so um i grew up in the church the christian church so i definitely have a good relationship with god not the institution of church but god himself mm-hmm. um i um i channel the wisdom of my ancestors and i call upon them and i ask them what would you do and sometimes they don't have the you know the diplomatic and the 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 textbook response, but their message speaks to my heart. And so Mm -hmm. I receive that when people are willing to give it to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would say, I don't always call it mental health. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes I call it something that nourishes my spirit. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I, I, what I try to do is I try to normalize the conversation around um, my mental health by using things like that made my heart smile or, Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, this is so good for my spirit. Um, mm-hmm. My spirit yearned to hear this word from you. And mm-hmm. I think um, little things like that help to destigmatize mental health without coming straight at someone and saying, you don't know anything about mental health. Mm-hmm. But really just showcasing the things that, you know, are things that lift me up and, and nourish my spirit. And, you know, I really try to be intentional about communicating things that make me feel good and things that mm-hmm. make me feel sad, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um and a simple example of that is I had a slip and fall about three years ago and um, it completely transformed my life. And now I'm handy capable, mm-hmm. um, not handicapped because I'm capable of bringing the party. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but uh, when the floor is wet, I always get nervous. And so every single time I'm walking on a wet floor, I always announce when the floor is wet, I'm nervous. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do that with positive things as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so when people do things that, you know, boost my emotions or help me feel loved and make sure that I let them know. And mm-hmm. I think that those are ways that I'm channeling my ancestors perspective of mental health and wellness. Um, and I don't think that there's one recipe for how I should live my life. I don't think mm-hmm. that, you know, I'm not a Christian because sometimes I say curse words. Like, I, I don't believe that to be true. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I don't take myself too seriously, I would say, is another aspect of it. Definitely. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, like you mentioned a lot of different (laughs) things, you know, having faith, you know, uh, it's okay to feel nervous and feel overwhelmed and, you know, things happen to you and you learn to sort of go around, you know, dealing with it and, you know, uh, and not approaching mental health uh, as, uh, you know, a textbook term and looking for your ancestors. Uh, you know, for advice or guidance, 
uh, you know these are some great tips one thing i really struggle with being inclusive and this sort of triggered uh, from your uh, you know answer talking about english as a second language any sort of advice on like how do i make this more inclusive right is is there any guidance on how i can do that better uh, uh, because i'm using english as a course now uh, assuming that a lot of people are english speaking and you know they will understand what i say or w- uh, what other people talk about on the podcast as well so oh interesting concept wow i hadn't considered that um you know i think that giving voice to the fact that mental health is something that we should discuss at work is such a foundational and transformative concept um that i think that you're already being inclusive you know um as i've been thinking about preparing for this chat with you you know i was discussing you know i was just kind of reflecting on what i was going to talk to you about and listening to people who work in different industries um not only the mental health industry but you know the service industry or finance industry and i think that you know inviting people from different perspectives to share what they've seen is mm-hmm. going to help them realize how much they're observing and how much you know i think that organizations you know in this globe ever ever you know global um infrastructure that we have are trying to do things like celebrate you know juneteenth or celebrate you know memorial day or celebrate pride month and mm-hmm. they're trying to do this with this bend on wellness and inclusivity and it's they're flopping terribly sanjay mm-hmm. <laughs> flopping terribly mm-hmm. and so i think that what's different about your podcast is that you're leaning in with curiosity and finding out what people's experiences are and i think that that's going to lend for inclusivity um for this podcast um abundantly definitely Th- thank you for saying that it it uh, for some reason it makes me feel better but uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, uh but uh, you know uh, i i just want to bring one last thing was like you know may is mental health awareness month can you yeah. talk about uh, some things that people aren't talking about right in terms of mental health awareness or you know uh, some things that you want to highlight as well so absolutely so may is mental health awareness month and in june mental health still matters um and i think that it's important for us to remember that like these months where we kind of showcase these subjects are an opportunity for us to absorb a lot of information but mm-hmm. it's not for us to file it away for next may mm-hmm. um i think that we should take advantage of all of these conversations that are kind of being stirred up um as a result of may being mental health awareness month and you know in this post pandemic era where people are really more willing to talk about what's going on with them mm-hmm. um and so you know as i look forward to june um some of the things that i'm going to be doing to continue to take care of my mental health are reminding myself of grounding statements mm-hmm. um so a grounding statement would be like you know i'm very nervous to have this conversation with sanjay and mm-hmm. i know that i'm going to be uh providing you know great insights to him right like mm-hmm. both of those things can be true at the same time right mm-hmm. um i'm planted here in this moment for a purpose mm-hmm. um and just reminding myself of those things to combat the doubts that come with you know imposter syndrome or the self policing mm-hmm. um 
And then the other thing that I think I'm going to um, continue to do, well, I know I'm going to continue to do uh, for the month of June is continue to lean into those uncomfortable conversations about, you know, are you burning out and what can I do to support you? And am I complicit in burning you out? Mm-hmm. Um, and being open to those responses a hundred percent, whether, whether it feels good for me in the moment or not, mm-hmm. understanding that in the long term, I'm trying to create a culture where we acknowledge those things and I'm a safe person to talk to about those things. Great. Um, you know, the, I, I'm still stuck up on, you know, using ESL as a language, uh, <laughs> but, but, but uh, you know, one thing that I thought could be great would be like people, you know, picking up one dialogue or one thing that people say very colloquially, uh, that makes them feel better, right? It could be in your own local language. And you said you were from the Dominican Republic. Maybe I'll do this, you know, going forward as well. So, you know, can you just, you know, pick out one dialogue in your own language, which makes you feel good or makes you feel better? Uh, and, you know, I'll do this going forward. So. <laughs> oh, that's a really good question. So what are what is something that I say to myself? So frequently as an ESL student, I'll think in Spanish, but I'll speak in English mm-hmm. or vice versa. Mm-hmm. Um, what is something that I frequently say to myself in Spanish? Oh, this is a good one, Sanjay. Oh, I say this to myself all the time. Yo soy fuerte. Okay. And it means I am strong. Great. Great. And I, I started saying that to myself um, after my slip and fall. I felt very weak. I um, I couldn't do anything by myself. But then when mm-hmm. I you know, kind of had to learn to walk again, mm-hmm. and I was doing my physical therapy, it was so painful. I would just say, yo soy fuerte, yo soy fuerte. I'm strong. I am strong. I am strong. Um, and that has helped me a lot. Thank you. Uh, thank you for uh, sharing that. And uh, yeah, I mean, it, the conversation has been great. And, uh, uh, you know, if there are a few things that you want people to sort of take away from this conversation, what would they be? Um, one thing that I say to myself always in English is do it scared. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of the decisions that I've made with my with my career and even in my personal life have been bold, daring decisions, you know, the decision to go to school full time and work full time in a new job. Um, I had a lot of people discourage me from that and say it's going to be hard. Um, you shouldn't do it. Um, but I did it scared anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really want people to take that away. Um, I also think that it's remarkable that in 2023, I have had many positions where I'm the first Latina. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, for me, um, one of the things that I always remind myself is that I'm a unicorn. Mm-hmm. Um, and so whenever I feel like I'm, you know, self-policing, or I have imposter syndrome, I remind myself there's only 8% of Latinas that have master's degrees. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm fluent in English and Spanish. And so I remind myself of, of what I'm qualified to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and probably the last thing that I always remind myself is I am not powerful enough to block my blessing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have been called to every space that I'm in for a purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, and when my assignment is done, I'll move out of that space. And so those are things that I remind myself that I just have to show up, do my best um, and do it scared. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm just saying, wow, that's it. I mean, that, <laughs> I, 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 I think that sort of defines this whole conversation. And, uh, you know, thank you again for taking the time. And I'm sure a lot of people will be inspired by your voice. And my hope is like more people just feel that sense of comfort by hearing another voice, um, you know, from from this domain that you're in. So 
Yes, thank you so much, Sanjay. I really appreciate the the opportunity and the platform. Um, and I'm excited to be a part of the Mental Health Podcast. All right, thank you. Thank you.